All right. Hey, church. It's good to see you today. Um, not really see you, but interact with you through this format. It's really cool that even in the face of doing this social distancing, that we can still connect through uh, online and be able to do this. Last week, we started a conversation about Sabbathing, and today is part two. And today we're talking about Sabbath as rest and misconceptions on the Sabbath. And so we're just going to jump right into this, okay? And so I was thinking uh, this past week on why we don't Sabbath. And I think that probably a couple of us fall into a couple of different reasons why we um, are uh, averted to the Sabbath, right? And so the first thing is that we are familiar with the Sabbath. Maybe uh, we touched on it in our childhood or adolescence, but it was kind of like this dumbed down, watered down version of it that's uh, just a legalistic version, right? Like you can't buy things. Or for me, I couldn't play Jedi Power Battle on my PlayStation 1 growing up for certain seasons of my life, right? And so we're familiar with it, but it's kind of like, we can all remember when we didn't have cell phones, but we can't imagine life right now without cell phones, right? Or maybe you fall into this viewpoint of you understand the Sabbath, you get the idea of it, you listen to last week's message, and you understand the day of rest, rhythm, and God's creation, but you still, in your mind, is this negative view. You see Sabbath as a day of legalistic do's and don'ts, just a day impeding your freedom. Like, you work hard, you should be able to just be allowed to enjoy the time off you have from work how you want to. And Sabbath feels like a way, maybe just even threatening, of impeding that. Another spiritual practice to add on to the plethora of ones that we talk about in the Bible all the time, right? Well, today my goal is to talk about those misconceptions just a little bit. And I think by the end of today, um, if we have done our job well, you will be like me, craving the Sabbath, right? Just like a lot of us are craving to just go outside of our houses right now, okay? So if you can grab your Bible... I've got mine here. If you can grab your Bible or open up your cell phone, we're going to be going to Mark chapter 2, verse 23. And that's going to kind of start our conversation off today. So Mark chapter 2, verse 23. So we're just going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to back up and talk about this just a little bit, right? So verse 23. On Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through grain, some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look. Why are they breaking off, breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read the scriptures, what David did when he and his companions were hungry? A little bit of a burn, like I was thinking about this, like think about uh, Chad Zalud, and this isn't a pick on Chad Zalud's biblical knowledge, but Chad Zalud, he's got the Jesus hair, he's a union carpenter. Imagine if he came to me like, pastor, I, I teach the Bible, right, as a living. He's like, hey, haven't you ever heard of like the story of Adam and Eve? Kind of like, you know, just Jesus throwing some shade. Verse 26, he says, He went into the house of God during the days when Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests were allowed to eat. He also gave some, of, some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. Verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Jesus was known for just kind of disrupting the flow of things. Jesus was known for disrupting um, life and practices and common things as people knew it. In verse 24, you see the Pharisees saying, this is a common law. You're not supposed to harvest things on the Sabbath. Why are your disciples breaking the law? And this is the first misconception I want to uh, 
walk through a little bit. So John Mark Comer says, uh, has a little bit of teaching, and I'm going to read this to you guys, just a short paragraph here. He says this. Now, this kind of freedom and space in elasticity drives Pharisees crazy. Pharisees are rule people. I would know I'm one of them. We think the Pharisees, uh, we think of the Pharisees as evil, mean bigots, and to an extent they were, but they started out with good hearts. They were born in the exile when Israel was in Babylon. Even when Israel came back to Jerusalem, they were quickly conquered again. By Jesus' day, they were under Rome's oppressive rule. They were back in the land, but they were still in exile. And everybody knew they were in exile for breaking God's commandments. So the Pharisees' basic philosophy was this. If Torah breaking got us into this mess, then it stands to reason that Torah keeping will keep us out of it. So they were OCD about the Torah. And now Torah means this. Torah in Jewish tradition is the first five books of the Bible. And they believe that was the whole Bible, God's spoken word to them, the first five books. But what John Mark is referring to here is that the rabbis, in in an effort to protect the people from falling away from God again, they said, man, we didn't follow those rules. And by the way, there were 613 commandments just in the first five uh, books of the Bible, the Torah, okay? So they did something. They added to those. It's something called the Oral Torah or the Mishnah, okay? It's called the Mishnah now. And it's added rules. They included another 1,500 rules on top of rules, okay? Imagine just trying to, like, remember 613 rules. Now, tack on another 1,500 rules on top of rules, okay? And within the Mishnah, there is 39 prohibited categories of working, okay? And Lynn Babb says this, Jewish, t- Jewish texts dating from around Jesus' time prohibited 39 specific acts on the Sabbath, including sowing, plowing, reaping, threshing, winnowing, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, spinning, weaving, hunting, slaughtering, building, hammering, and transporting. These prohibitions were designed to promote joy, celebration, and feasting. The rabbis recommended worship, uh, worship, study of the Torah, warm family life, and enjoyment of food as appropriate Sabbath activities. The motives behind the prohibitions was to make room for celebration and relationships. Again, the point was to protect the people from breaking the Sabbath, right? John Mark makes this point is that they kind of built a fence around the Torah, you know, uh, when you go to the zoo, maybe you go to Brookfield Zoo or Lincoln Park right here in the town, right? Um, the lion exhibit, they have that little moat, and outside of the moat, they have a fence. But the fence isn't right to the edge of the moat. The fence is like 10, 15 feet away from that. And the point of that is that if you were very curious or a little bit law-breaking, maybe you're just standing on top of the fence, reaching over. If a kid was to fall over that fence, they would not fall into the moat into danger. They would fall and then quickly recover and get back on the side of safety. And so that's what the Pharisees did. They built a fence around the Torah with these 1,500 additional rules or laws and to protect, to in their mind, protect people from falling into danger, okay? But so that's what they're referring to in uh, verse 24 there, is they're saying, why are your disciples breaking the law? Well, the Bible didn't give us that law. The Bible, the Torah gave us two laws regarding the Sabbath. Rest one day unto the Lord and work six days. That's it. So first off, the disciples didn't break the Torah or the Bible, they broke the Mishnah. And Jesus came breaking the Mishnah left and right, okay? He came to uh, redirect people's thoughts and to 
help them break the legalism of the Sabbath. And so it's very important. I want to move us to verse 27. It says this. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. I think there might be a tend to take this verse and to just throw out the Sabbath, assuming that it's an Old Testament ruling and that it no longer applies. Like Jesus is, you know, Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. Jesus is eating on the Sabbath and gathering food on the Sabbath. Then we don't have to apply that. But actually what Jesus is doing is he's coming and he's redirecting the current trend of thought to adjust people to what the truth of the Sabbath was. He's breaking away the legalistic bonds that are on it. And John Mark points out that if you were a Jew at this time, the second part of this uh, verse 27 is what you really would need to focus on. That people were that not people were not made to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. But in our current culture and community, Huntley, Algonquin, Hampshire, Gilberts, Elgin, okay, in our current community, what we need to focus on, Midwestern culture, okay, America right now, is the first part of this. Verse 27, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of the people. Other versions say the Sabbath was made for man, right? God didn't need the Sabbath. He made it to help us as part of something that we need. And so that's the part that we need to focus on is that the Sabbath is not something that's been done away with or completed. It still is in a part of a rhythm that God created in creation. Working six days Resting one. Resting one day so that we can work fully the other six days. So two things. There's a few misconceptions about the Sabbath, but two things I think that if you can get that far and on board with saying, I can see the Sabbath is something that's applicable into 2020. I think two things that are kind of combating us from keeping with the Sabbath, okay, or practicing the Sabbath. The first one I touched on it this last Sunday was hurry. Okay, hurry combats a lifestyle of resting, right? We're too busy. We're always on the go, right? And um, hurry in itself needs a whole sermon series just dedicated to hurry. And so I'm not going to get into it a lot. If you missed last week's sermon, go to the podcast or YouTube or Facebook and catch up on that series. But for right now, I just want to share two quotes with you, okay? The first is from John Mark's Comer book on the ruthless elimination of hurry. He says, people are just too busy to live emotionally healthy and spiritually rich and vibrant lives. Great philosopher Dallas Willard says this, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. If your excuse is that I'm too busy to slow down, you will slow down. It will just not be how you want it to be. It will just not be of your choosing. Your body, your mind is not meant to go 24-7. And eventually that will catch up with you and you will have a breakdown of some sort, physical or mental, where your body will force you into a season of rest and recuperation. Sabbath is a way of incorporating rest into our daily, weekly lives so that we don't get to that point. So let that be enough said on hurry for right now, but we're going to spend a little bit of time on how Sabbath confronts our identity. Okay, And this one was a little bit of a surprise to me. Going into the Sabbath, I didn't see this at first, but in the time of practicing it and doing study on it and reading books on it, this has kind of come forward. And I've realized that this is a big one, actually, of a reason why we don't stop to rest, because the Sabbath confronts our identity. How will we spend our time? First and foremost, Sabbath is rest. 
Sabbath in its simplest form just means simply to stop, right? John Mark in his book, again, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, says this, Our society is built around the twin gods of accumulation and accomplishment. And this is the crazy thing, is that America was not, is not built on stopping. America was built on people that do things, right? America is built on accomplishment. We're going to touch on accomplishment this week. We're going to touch on accumulation next week in our final series, on, our, our final teaching on this series, right? Um, Wayne Mueller, in his book on the Sabbath, outlines a whole chapter called Fear of Rest, and that's kind of what we're going to dive into a little bit. In that chapter, he, start, he has this haunting question that says, Tell me about your sense of self-worth. Tell me about your sense of worth. Where do you find worth in your life? And I was pondering that question, thinking back about the conversations I've had in my life. I've realized that I've seen a lot of people find worth in the wrong place, right? I've seen a lot, more than one woman or mother in my life that said, um, I don't know who I am if I wasn't a mother, Right Upon the, their kids graduating, leaving the house, they have this identity crisis, right? I've seen fathers and husbands who, outside of the grounds of provider and protector, they don't know who they are. When those flows are dis- uh, disrupted, maybe when they lose their job or something, they all of a sudden have this identity crisis of trying to figure out who they are if they're not the provider and protector of their family. I've seen students who have found their identity not in who God calls them, but in... Um, clubs they're in, groups they're associated with, uh, maybe perhaps good grades or being athletically capable, right? I've seen other people that post online when they post a picture and basically they uh, leave untyped questions or they pose in the picture of asking the question, am I pretty? Do you find me acceptable? Hit that like button. Give me a comment affirming myself, affirming me. And all of these things point to something, I think, universal in us is that we have a void in us. A void is titled identity. And we throw things into the void to fill it. We throw things like our job title or our accomplishments or the comments that people give us or the, uh, uh, the um, words of affirmation that people surround us with or things that we do that make us feel better about ourselves. But all of those things thrown into a void just get eaten up and they don't fill the void, right? I used to, uh, growing up, I had this um, in our living room in the ceiling, there was something called a stress crack in the ceiling. And basically that means is the drywall came to a place and the house shifted where it would always shift those two pieces of drywall and a crack would appear. And I can remember maybe half a dozen times in my life, uh, our family just filling that stress crack with putty and filing it down and painting over it to hide it. But the thing is, a month, two months, six, a year later, the stress crack would always reappear. And that's kind of what we're doing here is we have this void. We throw things into the void, but our identity will never be fulfilled because we're just trying to fill a bottomless pit, right? How does the Sabbath interact with this? Wayne Mueller first says this. He says, if we stop and listen, we will hear this emptiness. If we worry we are not good or whole inside, we will be reluctant to stop and rest. Afraid, we will find a lurking emptiness. If we are terrified of what we will find in rest, we will refuse to look up from our work, refuse to stop moving. We, click, we quickly fill all the blanks on our calendar with tasks, accomplishments, errands, things to be done, anything to fill the time, the empty space. But all creation springs from emptiness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth 
the earth was was without form and void. In rest, we face the truth that we can do nothing, accomplish nothing, and spend a day of nothing. And ironically, God starts to do the healing work of Sabbath and restoring our sense of worth. In a day when we don't earn our living and don't contribute to society in any given form that we can see, God starts speaking our worth into us. Here's the truth of the Sabbath is that it reminds us that our worth is not from us, that we cannot control it. God determines our worth. We just have trouble believing him. When we stop and do nothing productive, we're forced to face the fact that you can do nothing and yet still be fiercely loved and valued by God. Only Jesus and God can fill that void. Only Jesus and God can birth new creation in that void and look at you and say, you are good, you are loved, you are worthy, you are my masterpiece. I receive you just as you are on this Sabbath day. Sabbath confronts and battles our issue with identity. I can't remember where this quote is from, but I remember reading one of the books I've been studying on. It says that the only, Sabbath is a way of practicing dependency on God, the only type of dependency that works. And so this has all been really good, but this is kind of leading up to the point of Sabbath as rest. And so how does that actually practically look? How do we practically rest in our hurried and identity uh, misplaced identity lives, right? So how do we actually practice rest on the Sabbath? So here's a few things. Now, I know we talked about rules, how the accumulation of more rules actually created a legalistic feel for the Sabbath, but some rules are good, okay? And so here's the thing, though. You have freedom in the Sabbath to create the rules for yourself. What promotes rest worship and delight in your life, okay? For me and Amy, uh, a rule that we find helpful is that um, uh, when we have a bag of chips or maybe a bag of M&Ms or something, we'll be eating and we'll be eating them. And all of a sudden, I'll just get to this point where I'm like, oh, would you please just take this bag and put it out of my reach, okay? Just putting the bag one cushion of the couch over from me is a rule that keeps that from me. If I just put it one cushion farther from me, I will not indulge in that bag of M&Ms anymore, okay? Okay? The Sabbath kind of works like that. We do set up practices to help us rest, okay? And so here's the first one. Um, as the Sabbath comes in, we welcome it by pushing a button that probably most of us never push, right? If you grab the button on the right side of this device and you hold it down long enough, something will come up, you swipe right, this thing will shut down and you will stop getting notifications. Amy and I have recognized that on the Sabbath, we have to, um, we're at the point where we need to lock our devices, computer, laptop, cell phone in a box because even if we just shut it off, the temptation to still pick it up is often over too strong. You can't go 24 hours where we'll turn it back on and check something, okay? And so we greet the Sabbath by putting the things in a box, locking it up, shutting it down. So all electronics are locked down, okay? Because of all the electronics being locked down, we go to bed early. Can't watch TV? Going to bed at 9 o'clock, okay? We set no alarm clocks, except for my son. He doesn't ever switch off, okay? So he wakes up at 6. And so in the season of life we are right now, the pattern we found that fits us is that I will wake up with the kids, get them breakfast, 
let Amy sleep in a little bit. So around 8 o'clock, she'll wake up, and then she'll relieve me. And so how I practically practice rest is nap number one for me, I go back to bed. I'll go sleep for another 30, 45 minutes. I'll take a nap. And then for me, when I wake up, I leisurely make my way through Scripture. Today on the Sabbath is a day that I toss out my reading program. I toss out devotionals, and I just start where I want to start in the Bible. I often find it helpful just to start with a psalm to prep me, and then I usually move to the New Testament to just read a little bit, and I read till I'm full. I don't set a requirement here. I don't have a minimum or a maximum I have to read. I just read till I feel filled. This is a good time to practice um, soaking prayer. And soaking prayer is another way to say is listening prayer. Maybe turning on just instrumental worship music or just sitting in the silence of your bedroom or study and just sitting with God for a while. Set a timer for 10 minutes and just sit and just let all the thoughts of the last week just clear from your mind and just open yourself up to receive from God. Sometimes I practice journaling. And this is a way that um, I will get my emotions out and I can talk through and realize what I've been feeling and then put them aside. Um, and this usually, by this time, we are at the afternoon. Our kids are going down for a nap, for their second nap, and I hit my second nap. And there's actually a Jewish word for this called the Shabbat Shluth, and that's the Sabbath nap, okay? I want to get that put over on a sign over my couch someday. But that's second nap, and we just rest again. Um, Sabbath is a time that we rest from emotional conflict. Uh, Abraham Herschel says, being sad is a sin on the Sabbath, right? And so we rest from big decisions. You have six days to make, if you're trying to decide job change, house change, moving, big decisions, use the other six days of the week to make that. Right now, we rest from decision-making, okay? You rest from conflict. Maybe you rest and you do not bring up politics or controversial topics in your household because we're going to rest from conflict in our house. We try to go for a walk. We get into nature. But we usually tend to use this more, instead of walking, which gives a, um, implies uh, getting somewhere, we use the word saunter. We just take our time just walking around the block. I don't know, you have not... Uh, Nothing tests my patience quite as much as um, using, letting my kids get into that little red car and just walk at their pace down the street. You can take you an hour to get from your house just down one block, right? But on the Sabbath, we don't care. We just take our time, enjoy nature, let the kids slowly meander in circles and redirect them as we're walking, right? Um, Lynn Babb says this. Uh, she says, on the Sabbath, I let my mind and my heart drift. I think that's a great way when you're trying to view resting on the Sabbath to just let yourself drift. One of Amy's favorite things to do as she rests on the Sabbath is when the kids are napping, because she doesn't nap very well for whatever reason, she likes to just get cozy on the couch, open all the blinds, let the sun shine in, and just sit in silence. She has a cup of something, whether it's warm or cold. She just likes to sit there, usually without even music playing, and just watch the trees move, watch people walk by, and just enjoy the rest in God's presence. So those are a few practical things you guys can start doing to Sabbath and rest well. And I just have a few last thoughts. Um, 
The first is that as you start practicing this, you may recognize that emotions pop up that might surprise you. Maybe you're resting and in the quiet, you're faced with fear or sadness or anger. And throughout the week, our reaction usually is to numb or hide those feelings. On the Sabbath, the Sabbath is a time to sit in God's presence and allow those feelings to wash over you, allow your body to process them, and in rest, the Sabbath comes with healing work to start restoring your soul from those feelings. Instead of letting the anger and the fear and whatever other negative things have started clinging on to you from the week, instead of numbing them and pushing them down, let yourself feel them, let yourself process them, and then let God heal you to move on to healthier version of yourself in the next week. All right, I have just a few last thoughts when we talk about Sabbath and as you start implementing this this week, and then we're going to wrap up here, okay? Amy and I do not Sabbath well, okay? We've been doing this for about a year and three months now, but I'll be honest with you, it is a practice, okay? Stopping is something you have to practice. I grew up with a bike. Uh, one of the bikes in our household didn't have handbrakes, okay? They just didn't work, and we didn't have time to figure it out how to fix it, okay? But how we would stop is we would put our foot forward and physically hit the brake with our foot to stop the bike, Okay, one day me and my sister were going for a bike ride, come down kind of a steep hill. She put her foot up forward to hit the brake. She hit it too hard, locked the whole brake up, flipped the bike over and went right over the front tire, run over the uh, railings, okay? Right? She just totally crashed, okay? Stopping takes practice. You are not going to get this the first, second, third time. Um, what I suggest you guys do is that you just, as a family or as a, a personal uh, commitment, at least try this for the next three months. And over the next three months, you will start developing a rhythm and practice that works for you. Rest and worship and delight that works for you, okay? You have to learn the rhythm that works for you. These are a couple things that maybe as you get started will help you. If you have little kids, get a specific uh, bin and mark them as Sabbath toys. These are toys that will only come out on the Sabbath. If you have middle schooler or uh, um, older kids, Maybe you're going to have to figure out ways to replace electronics with things that they're excited about doing. Maybe every Sunday you jump on and have a Nerf war. Maybe every Sunday it's a board, family board game night or a family bike ride. What's something you can replace them with um, so that you can still look forward to and build anticipation? Put delight, build traditions into your household. Maybe it's special food or maybe this is the night you put on fancy clothes. Make it a day you look forward to. Light the candles. We start every Sabbath by lighting candles. Find a psalm that really speaks to you and that you can read to over your family as it starts. Special dessert. I'm going to talk about our special dessert next week when we talk about delight. But maybe there's a special delight. Amy and I have started coming up with this term that says Sabbath worthy. When we end our Sabbath, we look back and we think about the things that were Sabbath worthy. Man, that nap and conversation we had was Sabbath worthy. But man... When we, were, we started talking about couches and buying a new couch, and that just completely dominated an hour of our day, and that was not Sabbath worthy. We learn from one Sabbath to the next, and we practice, and with the idea of practice is the idea that you're going to fail. And so as we're closing, those are just a few thoughts as you start your Sabbath practice. Let me just pray this really quickly over you, and then we'll end. Father, Holy Spirit, we just pray right now, God, that you would just fill our houses our people with your peace. Give us discernment in this practice. 
of Sabbath. Highlight the things that will feed and rest our soul. Help us to cancel and just postpone for 24 hours, God, the things that chip away and consume us, God, and don't fill us. Give us wisdom in our judgment. May Jesus bless you and be with you this week until we catch you again. Love you, church, and we'll see you later.